Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms. Good morning, TBOD. Uh, welcome again to the Dear Doc Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Huffpower, and uh, today we are going to be uh, hosting Kenzie Broxson from Dental Logic LLC. Now, Dental Logic uh, is a um, kind of a one-stop shop for outsourcing uh, some of your in-office training as well as insurance verification and in insurance billing. Now, I have Ms. Uh, Broxson on today so that she can talk to us a little bit about how to read EOBs, how to correctly create a build in your software uh, so that you can be as efficient as possible whenever it comes to your filing, and also so that you can get paid and get paid as quickly as possible. Uh, Kenzie, talk to me a little bit about, um, about what you do with Dental Logic and uh, kind of give everyone a heads up as to how you got into this business to, uh, to begin with. And, and full, uh, full disclosure, folks, Kenzie is actually used to be my office manager at my practice uh, before she went full time with Dental Logic, and uh, and and really uh, really blowing the socks off of all the people who are um, who are her customers, myself included. So, Kenzie, talk to us. Yeah. So um, basically, what Dental Logic does is the insurance verification process for offices, and then also the insurance billing process. Now with the verification, kind of what we do differently than other companies is we actually work in the practice management software and we work within the plan notes when it comes to um, frequency information and just, you know, the little nuances of plans and things like that. Um, most verification companies will just give you an IVF and that has become the standard. It seems um, every practice, you know, that I've worked in or evaluated, they're all doing it that same way instead of using the plan notes, um, which is where all that information should go. Um, so we work on trying to clean that up with existing builds for all of the practices that we've onboarded. Um, and then of course, you know, any new builds that come across, we, we add, you know, the detailed notes that are supposed to be in there for those um, insurance verification builds. Um, and then as for the billing part, you know, that's pretty standard um, filing your claims, attaching the proper attachments, narratives, um, working outstanding claims, you know, putting in any appeals that need to be done. Um, additional information that needs to be provided, things like that. And then of course, there's a slight auditing that goes with that because you can't file a claim um, if it has, you know, wrong provider IDs attached or if there's two procedure codes that absolutely do not go together and you know they're not going to get paid, um, then obviously you're not going to just try to file that. Um, so a little bit of that goes behind it. Not a whole lot that's heavily reliant on the practice because really the office manager should be doing that within the practice. Um, but we do try to contribute as much as we can if we see any errors that come across. Um, so that's kind of what we do at Logic with the verification and um, the billing side of things. And the way that I kind of got into this is, as you know, I started out with the training program, um, the interactive e-learning, all of that good stuff. And I had quite a few dentists reach out and they said, hey, do you offer the verification service. And I didn't at the time. And I just had too many people reach out to not do it, you know? And right. so we just decided, Hey, let's expand. Let's do the verification and billing. Um, and it's been great. It's definitely been a challenge, not as easy as I thought it was going to be just because um, like we talked about earlier, there's just an old way that things are being done and trying to convert everything to be how it's supposed to be has been a little bit of a challenge and a setback, but it's going really well, and and we've been really happy with the clients that we've onboarded so far. Absolutely, and you know, I know that one of the big struggles you guys have is whenever you are in a new practice, uh, a lot of times you find that there's really a huge mess to clean up. And later on in the program, I want you to talk a little bit about that onboarding process and what people can do to get their own house in order. Uh, if not to make it easier for whenever they do outsource or if they ever outsource to someone like uh, Dentalogic or one of the other innumerable people who do verification billing, mm -hmm. but yeah. also just to make it more efficient for them to get paid. Because 
frankly, in, in the end, that's what it's all about is to actually collect 100% of what you're owed. So from exactly. what I understand, you have a couple of EOBs that you wanted to walk us through. Um, I had talked to you about there being a, a lot of questions about outsourcing insurance and how to read EOBs and you know what's going yeah. wrong with these insurance plans. So go ahead and uh, I'm going to hand everything over to you. Uh, go ahead and start your okay. screen share so that they can kind of see what you're talking about. Yeah. And with reading EOBs, you know, I have a couple that I'm going to go over, but always remember, you know, every insurance company is different and they use different verbiage each time. Um, so the biggest thing with reading EOBs to truly understand it is to truly understand the insurance company and how they're consistent with their verbiage um, and just really understanding that piece, but then also understanding your network status and your practice and what fees you're contracted with. Um, because if you don't have a good understanding of those types of things, then it can get extremely confusing when trying to read EOBs because every single insurance company has a different looking EOB. They don't all look the same. Right. Um, but the ones that I pulled, they're not super tricky situations. Um, there's just, you know, some things that you can avoid like extra time providing additional information if it's really not necessary. Um, and then also, you know, Whenever we talk about primary and secondary, sometimes they're not always going to send the letter to the provider. And so that's something that has to be called on in outstanding claims. And, you know, those are the kind of things that we're going to talk about. So let me see. Fantastic. And while you're, while you're pulling that stuff up to share, folks, if you have any questions for Ms. Broxson, please go ahead and put them down in the comment section below. And um, if, uh, if she has the time to answer all of them, she will. Uh, I know she'll certainly try to get to every single one. So uh, please go ahead and start putting those in now so that we can address them toward the end of the show. Okay, so this first one, it's a Cigna EOB. Um, and a lot of times practices get confused with the allowed amount, the submitted charge, um, you know, those sort of things and the approved amount. So for Cigna, they call it the contracted amount. They don't call it um, the allowed amount or the approved amount. And then obviously you have the amount that was charged out, which is what the practice would have submitted. Um, and in this case, it would have been their UCR fee because they're out of network with Cigna. Um, and then obviously the contracted amount is zero because they're not a contracted provider with Cigna. Um, and then if we get down to the bottom, it shows how much was paid by the plan and how much is responsible for the patient. Now on this EOB, the insurance, uh, the practice submitted a D4910, which is a primary maintenance, and the insurance alternate benefited to a profi. Um, and then obviously your reason codes are down here, or you know they might be called notes in some cases. Right. Um, and this just explains why the EOB got downgraded or alternate benefited or even denied, you know, just depending on the case. And right. it simply says that perio maintenance is only for people who have been previously treated for periodontal disease. So in this case, um, if a perio maintenance was charged out and it wasn't supposed to, you know, then obviously there's not much that you can do to try to get that paid. But if you do know that this patient has perio history, this is simply an EOB where you just have to provide additional information. Um, there's no reason to try to charge the patient the $61 right. because you do know that this patient has perio history. And if you have the perio charting to prove that, um, then it's very simple to just get it paid. The insurance just needs that additional information because in this case, what probably happened is either the patient had perio scaling done um, prior to this policy, or maybe they were on a different plan at the time. So Cigna really right. has no record of them being a perio patient. Um, and all of that can be simply just written at the bottom of the EOB and you can just mail it back um, to Cigna and typically, you know, they'll take care of that. So um, in this case, I went ahead and attached the second EOB showing that they did disperse benefits um, for the perio maintenance. So they have provided the additional um, $58. Now that doesn't add up exactly to... Um, the 175, I believe it's like 172 and 172 is just the max allowed amount for this out of network provider that they'll um, pay up to. So then the patient would just be responsible for $2 or $3. Would probably make the patient pretty darn happy. So yeah, $3 versus <laughs> 61 <laughs> is a pretty big difference. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit on this specific EOB um, because I know that you, uh, you have a vast store of insurance knowledge in general. Let's say that this patient came into your practice as a doctor. You were not the diagnosing doctor whenever it came to their periodontal disease. 
the SRPs were done in a different practice, or at least by report from the patient, you have not received records from the other dentist. And you're going off of obviously like a healthy but reduced periodontium. What, what would you need to do as the provider to get this patient paid? Because obviously, if they were a perio patient, the way that the codes work is they should for life be a perio patient. Now, I, I, we can agree right. or disagree on whether that's appropriate, but that's the way the codes are written. So right. Correct. what are your thoughts there? Um, what would this office need to do to help this patient out? So I would assume um, on this patient, whenever they first came in, that they probably had an FMX taken. They probably had, you know, their comprehensive exam. They probably had period charting, um, all of that good stuff that gets completed when they initially come in. Um, and if you have that period charting, you can submit that. You can submit the FMX um, and you can simply just call the entrance and explain to them, hey, this patient, um, they actually are period maintenance. They had periscaling done at a different provider's office. Give them the story. Um, like for example, on this case, I know for sure um, that no additional information was submitted at the bottom. The entrance was just simply called and told they actually are a perio patient because they had periscaling done two years ago right. and the insurance paid for it. You know, so not every insurance company is going to ask for like a whole lot of information. And I feel like that's what a lot of people assume whenever they get these cases and they don't want to spend the time on it. But this one literally takes just a few minutes to get it taken care of. Um, so if you don't have that perio charting information to submit in, um, then you can at least call and try to give them the background of the story and go from there. Um, and a lot of times the insurance will tell you exactly what they need to get it paid. And, and boring that, then obviously you would, your first step beyond this would be to send a narrative. And if that doesn't work, your next step would be to, re to actually request a meeting with the dentist in charge. Yeah. So, all right, guys. So that, that's a pretty straightforward one, but it does involve a little bit of trickiness depending upon if the patient was originally your patient or not. Um, again, if you guys have any questions about this specific uh, EOB or any questions that you'd like us to cover later, go ahead and drop those down below in the comment section. Um, all right. So Kenzie, Oh, and, and by the way, guys, if you need to ask a question anonymously because you're embarrassed to ask it publicly, um, you can message me. I actually have another computer open over here to my left-hand side that I can pull those questions up and I can ask them of Kenzie if, if you just don't want to post yourself. So Kenzie, I know you have a couple others for us, so let's go ahead and jump into the next one. Yeah, so the next one is a Humana EOB, and the only reason why I pulled this one, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but it just shows that um, they use different verbiage for the allowed amount. Um, so you can see in the Cigna EOB, they called it your contracted amount and then amount eligible for coverage. Um, and this amount eligible for coverage is just saying either they're going to downgrade and this is the amount that you're allowed to charge, or they're saying that you're out of network and the amount, the allowed amount that's eligible for coverage is only, you know, the 172, like I was saying earlier. So Humana uses different verbiage. Um, they would say that the allowed amount is what the, what the provider um, either is having to charge because of the contracted fee, or it could be the providers out of network. And this is the only amount that they'll allow for benefits to be dispersed on. They won't honor the 222 for the perio scaling. They're just going to do the 93, probably because, you know, zip code reasons or, you know, for whatever reason. The employer has it set up to where only so many benefits can be dispersed. Um, so this is one that just shows different verbiage gets used with, e with each EOB. So you can't really get familiar with Cigna and then assume that everybody's going to be like that. You know, you really have to learn each one. Um, and then obviously here's the, the reason codes again. And it just kind of goes over that this is a non-participating provider. Charge exceeds the fee schedule maximum allowable. Um, so again, this provider's out of network. And so this is the max that's allowable for this procedure code. So the patient is responsible for the difference um, between these two fees. Excellent. Now, before you get into what looks like in the background here, my absolute favorite MetLife, actually, you and you, you're not a medicalist, my least favorite, but we actually have a question from one of our members here. Um, Dr. Tucker says, I've been dealing with 
PNR Dental Solutions, who seem to deny most buildups unless there are two, uh, unless two cusp on molars and one cusp on a premolar are actually missing. I don't see that as the definition of buildup in the CDT codes, though. Is there a way that we can fight this? Um, so my first question would be, um, what are the claims guidelines? Because that's really important with filing claims and when something's going to be covered. For example, um, kind of like what I talked about in the beginning, you really have to understand um, what each insurance company does because Cigna, for example, most people know that if there are four more missing teeth in an arch, um, they're most always going to downgrade or alternate benefit the implant to a partial. It's just a standard. It's a guideline that they have. There's not really much of a workaround with it. Um, you should just know that you should charge the patient in full and let them know this is a guideline by Cigna. Um, and so in that case, I would be curious what the guideline is for core buildups, because sometimes when you do call for verification, they'll give you those guidelines stating the only time a core buildup will be called if it's done on, you know, a certain date, it's not done with the crown or, you know, something like that, or there has to be so much tooth structure loss. So that would be my first question, um, because if you can understand that part, then you know if you can send in an appeal or if, you know, it's pretty much just a lost case. Um, and that's kind of what I was referring to with some of these EOBs is reading these EOBs and understanding when something's getting denied, you really have to understand the guidelines to know if it's worth the appeal or not, because then you, you know, throw in all that time on it without knowing if it's ever going to get paid or not. Absolutely. And, and in this case, um, it, PNR is a dental consulting company that's hired by the insurance to deny claims. That's their entire job, uh, which I consider them right. the scum of the earth. But, um, but you know my feelings on that. Uh, but, you know, whenever we're looking at this, you know, you, you're, you're being told what the rules of engagement are. You're being told what the game is. PNR has told you mm -hmm. this is what it is that, um, let me see here, this is this insurance plan. Oh, um, uh, Brian says whenever he is speaking with the consultant, um, mm -hmm. They say that that's just this insurance plan or plan within this insurance carry that is picked. Um, so, yeah, that's basically what they're doing. They're giving you the rules of engagement. They're doing exactly what Kenzie was talking about, which is they're defining exactly what a buildup is or what a buildup is going to be allowed to be under that insurance plan or under their auspices as mm -hmm. these consultants. And so, yeah. this would definitely be a case where if it's not meeting those standards, you would need to do either. A, a narrative and explain that those cusps are in danger of breaking off um, and, you know, causing the patient pain or what have you. But ultimately, mm -hmm. they simply may not pay. And the only way that we could really fight that is actually on an ADA level to ask them to yeah. create more exacting language under the code descriptor. Um, Kenty, do you have something that, that would, uh, that, that would, agree or disagree with that? What are your thoughts on my answer? Oh, yeah, I agree 100%. Um, it's kind of the same with all of the procedure codes. They all have guidelines. And that's something that a lot of, um, you know, practices I've seen with their verification is sometimes they don't put those guidelines within that procedure code. So for that core buildup with that particular plan, I would put in the plan notes that it only is going to be covered if XYZ is done. Um, that way the office knows when going over a treatment plan, Hey, we need to like manually override the system and zero this out. So right. the patient can pay for it. Um, that way you don't have to run into having to fight the insurance well, over because is this an instance, some of these, is this an instance, Kenzie, where you would want to mark that one particular code as a do not charge the insurance? Um, you can do that, but sometimes that'll just standardize it for, all of the plans. So if you marked it as do not bill, then, I mean, it would just come across for each patient that needed it. If you had like Cigna, MetLife, Humana, like all those different insurance companies, and then the different plans beneath those, um, then it's going to not bill for all of them um, because it's, it's doing it for the code in particular, Fantastic. but you can answer. do that within on the claim. So like, if you, um, like, I know for sure an open dental, if you have a claim with a core buildup on it, you can select for that particular claim for that patient's account. Do not bill to insurance if you want to do it that way. Fantastic. Brian says, thank you so much for answering. Guys, if you have any more questions, please don't hesitate. Go ahead and drop them down below. Kenzie, actually, I, I can tell you from personal experience, 
she lives to answer these questions and lives to find ways of making the insurance pay for things that they should pay for when they won't. So I, I know you have a couple more EOBs there. Yeah, just one more that I was going to go over um, with MetLife. And again, you know, this is what their verbiage looks like at the top of the EOB. Um, they use the term allowed amount and sometimes approved amount gets interchanged as well. Um, but for this particular EOB is really interesting because this patient had six implants done, um, meaning they're going to have six implant crowns done this, afterwards. This one's from my office, if I'm not mistaken. I think I know which patient <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is the one where they didn't pay and then they came back and they paid more. I had to refund them like yeah. $5,000. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. You had to refund them 5000 I meant to ask, uh, what, was their, what was their limit? Because I thought their limit was only $5,000. It was $5,000. Their maximum. Yeah. Their max is five. Got yeah. you. Got you. I just, I misremembered. So usually that. you wouldn't have to like worry about the implants and the implant crowns in this case at all, because it would, typically it's $1,500 calendar max, but this right. one, he had 5,000. So, you know, Got to do what you got to do. Absolutely. Um, but on this patient, three of the teeth were extracted on the plant and two of the teeth were, they didn't have a history of, MetLife did not. And this patient has a missing tooth clause. So obviously they're going to be asking for extraction dates of the other two teeth, um, right. which actually they didn't pay for three of the teeth um, because I guess they didn't recognize that they had a history of one of them. Um, and so, you know, a discussion was had there and the date was given for that one because it was in the practice management software. Um, but anyways, so they ended up paying for that third tooth. So three implants got covered. Well, with a $5,000 calendar year max, you know, that, that still wasn't enough to max him out to be able to give him, um, a full refund of what they right. paid. And so, um, basically after looking at this and seeing that they want extraction dates for the other two teeth and the patient, he doesn't have the extraction dates, all of that. You know, you don't have to go through the trouble of trying to talk with the patient, talk with another provider's office that extracted the teeth to get extraction dates, when most likely it's probably prior to the patient's policy, especially if you know when the effective date is pretty recent, um, mm. then you really know that the extractions are probably done way before. Um, but the good news is knowing that he had implant crowns, there's really no time to waste on any of that because you know the implant crowns are going to be covered. So he's going right. to max out with the three implants, the three implant crowns. So instead of hyper-focusing on this particular claim, this EOB, thinking that you need to provide additional information, there's no point because you know he's coming in in two to three months to have the implant crowns done. Absolutely. And that's going to be before his um, you know, benefits roll over at the end of the year. And so you can just wait that three months and file the implant crowns and you'll get the other three paid for. Now, there was a, um, question, so this is, there was a question that came up this morning. Um, and I'm trying to find it right now, just so that you know, but um, I'll tell you the, the gist of what it was. Uh, someone said, okay, look, I used to have a pano and um, every patient got a pano as a new patient exam, but now I have a CBCT. So every patient gets a CBCT and, you know, how am I supposed to charge for this? And the answers is, as you know, anytime dentists give answers to insurance, we're highly varied. Uh, everything from um, write it off to uh, charge for a pano to you have to charge exactly what you did. So you have to charge a CBCT. I think there's some misunderstanding there because all extra oral images that can be pulled from a CBCT image, uh, including panoramics, TMJs, um, cephalometrics, I believe you can even pull a water's view um, if, if, you, if, you, if you need to, if you have a full, uh, full, uh, full 17 inch field. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is, is that one of those situations where like what, what my, my opinion was, and guys, just so that you know, Kenzie is never, ever hesitant to tell me when I'm dead wrong. So we may find out I'm wrong here. <laughs> so my opinion was, if you bring that patient in, new patient exam, you should be charging out the pano. But if you also, in that case, recommend that this patient have um, a full mouth extraction, uh, I'm sorry, rather full mouth uh, rehabilitation with the use of implants, you should also be pulling off uh, a CBCT and charging for the CBCT in addition to the pano. And that if you decide that you're gonna treatment plan this patient for orthodontics, you should also be charging out a cephalometric just to be technically correct with everything that we do. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Am I dead wrong? Am I kind of right? Am I completely right? What's, what, what are you thinking? 
I mean, I would think that um, the most important part about like the procedure codes are the images that you're getting. It's not necessarily about the machines. You know what I mean? Like the procedure right. code itself does not say it has to be taken by a pano machine, or if you take a PA, it has to be taken by this particular machine. You know, like there's right. all kinds of different x-ray equipment that can provide so many different images. I mean, with, you know that being- With a notable, um, a notable exception being bite wings that are taken with a panoramic or with a CBCT must use a separate code because there is a separate code for that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but as for like the machine that's being used, if that machine can get multiple different types of x-rays and images, then that you can charge for those procedure codes. You know what I mean? Because like a CBCT, you can pull a pano. It's about the image that's being received. It's not about the machine that took it necessarily. Exactly. Um, and if you look at all the other procedure codes as well, um, the CT, you know, procedure codes, they talk about the different types of images that were received through the CT. So it's not, it's not about like what machine took it necessarily. It's about what images were extracted from it. Now, those CBCT machines are way more expensive, you know, than just a general um, x-ray machine. So if you're paying that much more extra for a big robust machine like that, again, it's about the images that were pulled from it. It's not about the machine, you know, itself. It's about the images that are coming from it. And that's how the procedure codes read. You know, it's about Fantastic. what images you're getting. So I think what you just said is when for Dr. Huffpower, he was correct. <laughs> I guess you can have it. <laughs> All right. So you, know, you also wanted to talk a little bit about efficiencies that um, practices can achieve through the use of correct bills uh, for insurance. Um, and I know you have a couple of things there that you kind of wanted to show people. Um, so let's go ahead and jump to that if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, so first, I'll start with the practice management software and just what I've experienced um, starting verification. Um, in the very beginning, you know, when I first started it, I was like, oh yeah, this is super easy. Verification is very straightforward. You know, right. um, every insurance company is different, plan notes, all that good stuff. Um, and then starting, I noticed that a lot of practices are just using an IVF and the IVF that gets used for verification is just supposed to be a guide. It's not supposed to be where your actual build is stored. Um, that is just simply something that you don't get lost on the phone. You know, when you're calling and you're having to ask questions, it kind of keeps you on track, keeps the phone call efficient because you can go to the next question after the next question. Um, and then also a place to put that data um, while you're on the phone. That way you're not having to like try to type and, and do that in the practice management and, software. And is this IVF, um, let's, let's say somebody uh, doesn't need dentalogic service. You know me, I always ask for a, a give from my guest. Is this something that they can contact Dentalogic and you'll just give them the IVS that you use? Is that something I can ask you to do? Well, and so that's another thing. Um, all the IVFs that we use, it's customized to each practice. So it's not gotcha. like a general IVF. Um, and that was another thing that I worked with practices on is they would send me their IVF and then I would pull their most common procedure codes. And I'm like, well, that can be marked off. That can be marked off because you don't use these procedure codes. So what's the point of calling on these? And right. then there would be some extra procedure codes that they did use. And I'm like, Hey, let's, let's call on these because this is what you are using in your practice. So this is what you're going to get benefit out of. But if you're not doing implants, why are we going to waste time on implants? So, and it's not a standard IVF, you know, there's not a standard IVF out there except for, if you just want, you know, percentages of frequencies and things like that. But really what you need to do is pull your most common procedure codes mm -hmm. and then create your own IVF um, and see what you're doing most common in your practice. And that's really going to help your team um, be able to go over treatment plans because when those procedure codes come across, they know they already have the data for those procedure codes versus having a lot of detailed information with nothing to do with it. You know, it's, so it's just pointless. So before I let you dive in completely into explaining verifications and how the build should be created, which you actually kind of did a good job of telling them just now, um, <laughs> there, is a, um, there is a doctor here um, who is saying, I had a patient recently who got approved for six anterior crowns. Um, I'm guessing he means a pre-verification got approved. Uh, MetLife would only pay on three of them because they hit their max. On her EOB, the remaining three crowns, MetLife puts the patient's payment at zero, MetLife payment at zero. 
which made it look like she had on, like she only had to pay for 50% of the three crowns and the other three were free. Like I was supposed to do them for free. I explained to her that she had hit her maximum and that MetLife just won't figure in the other three crowns. So they put zero. She was confused why they do this. She came into my office with the EOB and had it in her head that she would only have to pay 50% for three crowns because that is what the EOB states. I find this very, very confusing. Um, what, what would your recommendation be there? Because my recommendation would be basically, I'd have a sheet that said, I would pull out every time that I'd pre-write and it'd say, yeah, look, here's what MetLife does. We have this problem a lot. So we actually wrote something up for you so you could understand the, the process. Um, yeah. What, what is your, what yeah. is your suggestion there? And that's something that's good to do. Um, personally, what I would do is I would get my life on the phone. Um, and I would do a three way phone call and say, right. Hey, you know, I have this patient in here. This is how you guys process the pre D and now, you know, after actually processing, because pre D's are always, you know, estimates obviously. Mm -hmm. And, and that's why sometimes there's a struggle with that because patients hold true to the pre D and it's, just an estimate. It's just getting insurance benefits. You know, it's most of the time it's Absolutely. automated. Um, so it's not like somebody reviewed that and said, Oh yeah, we'll pay for this. Um, and I would get my life on the phone and say, Hey, I need you to, to talk with this patient because they're very confused on this case. And then MetLife's going to tell them, well, you maxed out on your benefits. You're responsible for the remaining amount. Then right. she has not only, you know, the practice telling her that, but also um, MetLife there's two people. So there's really no way that I mean, she can't say, oh, well, MetLife said this because you have them on the phone. Um, so that's the way that I would handle it. And I found that, you know, sometimes it's really useful because whenever you get the insurance company on the phone yourself and do a three-way phone call, there's not the, well, I called the insurance. And then she says, exactly. well, I called the insurance. You know, you just really get rid of all of that miscommunication and the he said, she said type deal. Now, I, I will say um, the one time that I would disagree with you is if it's a disallowal, you never want to get the insurance on the phone then because they will tell the patient that oh, they yeah. nothing. They are usually yeah. wrong because of state laws, but that is that would be a very bad idea to do. Yeah, not a, not a disallow. I wouldn't call on that one. Something that's pretty straightforward. Like this case is pretty straightforward. Like it's pretty simple to say, yeah, you owe this money because you had six you know, crowns done. Um, only in a case like that, or if it was, um, something that was maybe a denial because of an alternate benefit or a downgrade, you know, they didn't understand something like that. Um, then I would say, well, you know, this is a guideline on your plan. So let's call the insurance and I'll have them let you, you know, tell, tell you that. Excellent. Um, and again, um, if you are dealing with disallowals and you're having some difficulty, the reason that I suggest printing something up and writing something up that references state law or references a specific policy beforehand is because when you just tell a patient something, their mind is going to say, oh, well, this guy might be lying to me or this person might be lying to me. They're making this up on the spot. When you have something that's already pre-written, they see that it's enough of a problem that actually very elegantly pushes the blame to the insurance company rather than to your team or to you yourself. So um, uh, as, as we're covering the rest of this, uh, talk to me a little bit about um, what you find a lot of times whenever you get into a practice about the way that a verification build has been done, or even if it's done correctly, how it's put in the wrong place and it causes inefficiencies. Uh, all you. Yeah. And then on that, that last case, uh, one other thing that I thought about is maybe pulling the patient's insurance eligibility itself, you know, that's in the images section and simply like explaining their policy to them. Cause I found that that's really helpful too, to make, um, to build trust with the patient um, by saying, turning that around and saying, Hey, you know, let me explain to you how your plan structure is, you know, here's your max, you know, when you have so many, they only pay a percentage of so many procedure codes. And then once you hit that max, you know, I'm sure that was all done, but actually putting the, the paper in front of them or turning the screen around and showing them their insurance plan that was received from the insurance company, that's sometimes helpful too, because then they're like, wow, well, thanks for explaining that to me. Um, no one's, you know, explained my plan to me. So that's another thing that you could attempt as well. Um, that might not take as much time as calling the insurance. Um, but as for the insurance builds and the inefficiencies, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of practices will heavily rely on the IVF. Um, and that's something that's super inefficient because, for example, um, if you have a Walmart plan, and let's just say 
there may be two Walmart plans, maybe like a high option and a low option plan. A lot of the practices, there will be like 30 Walmarts in the practice management software because a new one just gets built every single time <laughs> for each patient that comes we, through. Remember, Versus, we had somebody who was doing that. You, you curse so much whenever you saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you of, didn't curse because that would be unladylike. Right. <laughs> I was very unhappy. Um, instead of adding patients to the existing Walmart build or, you know, whatever build it may be, um, it's just being a new one's just be creating each time. So let's just put it in this light. If you had a Walmart build where the plan notes were put in, everything was within the practice management software instead of on the particular patient, then two weeks later, you have another patient on a Walmart plan come in. Oh, you already have your new build done. You don't have to do a new build. You just have to verify active coverage. So you can um, add that uh, plan to the patient's account. Two weeks later, another patient comes in. Well, you don't have to do a new build. You just have to verify active coverage because they have the same group number, same plan information. You can attach that patient to the plan. So instead of having 30 plans, you should have 30 subscribers attached to the one Walmart plan. Um, so it seems like it's a little bit flipped backwards to where there's just multiple plans versus um, multiple patients on a plan. Um, and a lot of times I'll see on the, in open dental, you know, on the right side, it'll say that there's one patient, one patient, one patient, one patient attached mm -hmm. to all of, you know, it's the same plan, but there's multiple ones um, built in. And so that's a really huge struggle because first of all, a new build takes anywhere from 30 to 50 minutes, just depending on which insurance company you get. Um, you can do most of it online, but if you want the detailed information, most of the time you have to call. Um, Delta Dental's not very good about wanting to talk to offices anymore. You know, they don't want to take those phone calls. So most of the time you have to be on hold for a very long time nowadays. Um, and so it's very time consuming. So if you're doing that for every single patient, um, whenever you're not attaching them to an existing plan, you can see where all of a sudden 40, 50 minutes is lost whenever you could have just verified active coverage and conjoined the person to and, another plan. And, and a further tip, something that I found that really baffled me, and I know you agree with me <laughs> on this one, is there are a lot of offices that will just they'll look at their screen and they'll say, oh, I'm verifying for the next week. They'll take Monday and they'll call all the patients and they'll call them like one, two, three, four. For me, what I tell my team to do and it, it, as you well know, is to take the whole week, find every Delta patient and call on the Delta patients all at one time, because all yeah. of that whole time just eats up your day and makes you utterly inefficient. And that's something that every yeah. office, in my opinion, should be doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you get lucky with Delta, because sometimes they'll only talk to you for like a certain period of time. Right. Um, and that's why it's so inefficient to have to try to call on each one and do a new build for each one if you already have existing plans, whenever you can just get that information online, you know, you can just verify the active coverage because you already, you know, maybe three months ago, um, got the detailed information that you had to call about. And so you don't have to call it. And that, that statement adds a very important question. That I think a lot of people need some clarification on. So you do this professionally and not just for one practice. This has been your profession for a long time and you're very good at it. So how often do you, look at a build and go, okay, it's time to look at this build and make sure it's still correct. How often do they uh, once, change those? Once a year. So if they're on a calendar year, January one, any plans that were, you know, that are running on a calendar year, they would need to be checked at the beginning of the year. Any plans that are a policy year, they need to be checked at the beginning of their policy year. So if it's September to, you know, August 31st, then you would check September 1st for those plans. And that's okay. why in your plan notes, you should put the date that the new build was done. Um, that way you can keep track of how up-to-date that new build was. Um, so if you have one that you did today, and let's say they're on a calendar year, then you know, okay, we just did this October 10th of 2020, January 1's here. We just need to double check this information, make sure nothing changed. Now, if you did one for January 1 of 2020 and April rolls, rolls around, the plan didn't change, you know, that was just three months afterwards. They can't, they're not going to just change a plan um, right in the middle of it. So always double check the information, but you know, the detailed stuff and a lot of the guidelines are pretty standard. So let's say you, um, you go in and you, you check one of your builds and, um, and we're talking about a complete build here, guys, not just, you know, uh, 80, 50, 20, not that crap. 
a real build. So you, you check your build and you do find that something has changed in what they're covering, what they're not covering, what have you. Do you abandon the old build, relabel it as old build? Do you correct the old build? Which one is more advantageous and why? So it depends. Um, it depends if the group number is changing. It depends if it's a progressive plan. Mm -hmm. um, if it's neither one of those, then you would just change the old plan. Um, so ex and the reason explain I say the that, progressive plan because I know what you're talking about, but I know some dentists are not going to. <laughs> so um, first we'll start with the, um, like just changing the existing one where it's not a progressive plan. It's just a plan that maybe the max went up to $2,000 instead of 1500 or something. Okay. Um, that type of plan, you may have like 30 patients attached to that plan. So at the beginning of the year, if you update it with the first patient that comes in on that plan, it updates it for everybody attached to the plan. So there you've already knocked out 30 other people that are going to come in throughout the year. Um, and you don't have to worry about updating their plans as well. It's redundant work whenever, you know, there's multiple different plans built in and you're having to update each one when they come in. If they're all attached, any updates you make to that group number where something just, you know, increased or decreased on the plan, then um, it changes for everybody. Okay. Now, if it's a progressive plan, you don't want to change the existing plan. You want to create a new one because the way that those plans work is usually it's a year one, year two, year three type plan. And um, as the patient is, you know, coming in for their routine cleanings and as they're um, staying on the policy, once they hit year two, usually their benefits get better. Um, so they may start out with, um, let's just say a max of $1,500 or something. Right. Um, year two, they may increase it to 2000 and then year three, they may increase it to 2,500. So some of these patients, you know, their, their effective dates may be in different years. And so that means that some patients may be on the year one, and then some patients may be on the year two, even though they're on the same plan. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a case where you would not want to, um, you know, change the existing build because, it is a progressive plan. And so it is changing by the years. So and one sense. of the things to note about that, that becomes very important is that even within the same family, you can have somebody who's been on the plan for several years and let's say they get married. All right. Well, then the wife may be on a different version of the plan than the husband. So you need to really watch that guys. And, and this is, this is one of those yeah. things that can really, really make you have a bad day. So I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd suggest yeah, exactly. following what Kenzie's saying here. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, if there's like a high option, low option plan, obviously um, sometimes those don't have subgroups for you. Sometimes it's the exact same group number. Um, you just have to recognize sometimes that there's different maxes and different percentages, but it's the same right. group number. And then asking the insurance, is this a high option versus low option? Because sometimes they don't come out and say that right away. And, and can um, you, you just have to identify what's coming across. Can you label those and let's say open dental and say, um, MetLife yes. group number high. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You would want to label it 100% high option versus low option. That way, whenever you're looking at your insurance plans in your system, you're not seeing two different plans. And you're like, Hey, maybe I should combine those because we have two different ones. Um, you definitely want to recognize them as high and low. That way everybody has a full understanding that, Hey, let's make sure this patient's on either one. Cause the low option obviously is going to have lower benefits. So you do not want them attached to the higher plan. Absolutely. Um, so okay, guys, um, if you have any further questions, please go ahead and drop them in the comment section here. Kenzie has uh, told me she has a couple hours to do this, but no more. Uh, so uh, if you don't mind, put any questions you have in now so that we can get to them before the end of the program. Now, Kenzie, uh, as we're waiting for any other questions that, uh, that might pop up uh, from stragglers, um, have we finished with what you wanted to present today before I put you on the spot and have you talk about your company? <laughs> Well, do you want me to show, um, I have something for like open dental, um, the plan note section, like what I'm referring to. Do you want me to show? Fantastic. That? Yeah, please. Okay. Let's see. Okay. So in open dental, when I talk about plan notes, this is the section that I'm talking about. You know, this should be where your percentages, your frequencies, all that good information is going. There is a section within the benefit information where you can put in those frequencies. I don't prefer it always just because when it comes to the one per six consecutive months or the one per 12 consecutive months, open dental just doesn't have that down yet. Um, so it's just not very consistent. I've seen times where that's been inputted 
and then it's acting like the patient doesn't have benefits, but they really do have benefits um, and vice versa, showing that the patient has benefits when they actually don't. Um, so I always do like to revert back to the plan notes for interpretation versus um, putting it in here just because the verbiage just isn't exactly what the insurance company states. Um, and hopefully one day, you know, they'll have it to where it's exactly how the insurance company has it listed. Um, and they do have like the two per calendar year, you know, the one per 36 months, you know, for, um, or one for three years for um, pano and for cleanings and exams and things like that. So you can input that information, but again, sometimes it's just hard to rely on the particular verbiage that's being used in open dental. Cause I have seen it cause issues on treatment plans. Okay. Um, but whenever we talk about the plan notes, it's simply right here. Um, and then whenever you do a new build, um, you know, you would obviously build into the system, put the employer information group name. Um, and then if a patient's coming and they're on this existing plan already, um, there would be no point in building a new one. You would do pick from list. So you would choose from your existing insurance plans list, and then you would add them to, you know, the particular plan that they're on as well. And then any subscriber notes, you know, this doesn't show in other people's plans if they're attached to the same ones. This is where you can put, you know, waiting period information or um, just anything that's particular to this person. Um, anything that's in the plan notes section is going to show up in every single patient's um, plan that's attached to it. So again, here you can see where other uh, subscribers are attached. And so if there were five subscribers attached to this one, you would see the number five, and then it has a list of the patients that are attached as well. Um, doesn't show the subscriber note section, but it does show the plan note section, this section, and then the benefit information section. Um, so that's really important to have this because this is where your frequencies, your detailed information, all of that should go versus scanning it into your images section. Um, and that way, every single patient attached to this can have updated because the images is not shareable. It's particular to that patient. Um, so that information does not get updated. Your IVF should be a guide. It shouldn't be your sole build. It should just be a guide for the phone call. Um, and then you should build it into the actual um, practice management software. Okay, fantastic. So um, we haven't had any more questions come in. So I'm going to have you talk to us a little bit about First of all, I know you have a big webinar that's coming up soon here that um, dentists can actually have their front desks and their instant, their assistants, anybody they want, really, their grandmother, no, maybe not their grandmother, they can watch this and they can actually learn um, a lot of what Kenzie is talking about right now and, and frankly, a lot more information. Uh, and you actually have a training program. Uh, to help offices that don't want to outsource, don't you? Uh, you? I know you guys are launching that sometime really soon here. So talk a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. so we initially started out um, with our first training program and there's a lot of things that I wanted to change with that and update. Um, so while we were working on the verification and the billing, um, we put that kind of to a halt and then now we're revamping the training material. Um, that way it can be um, given to people who don't have any dentistry knowledge. Um, if you wanted to hire, you know, somebody um, that doesn't have any dental experience, you know, this would be something that could aid them in having a new career um, within dentistry. And, you know, a lot of times with that also is you can find someone that maybe is pretty business savvy. They're good with numbers. They're good with accounting um, finances. They can really learn insurance well. Um, and they simply just need to know the dentistry side of things you know, this is, is something where we're trying to revamp it so it can be geared towards that as well. Um, and so we'll be coming out with that here shortly. Um, and so we're really excited about that because I know it'll be super helpful for um, a lot of offices if they wanna try to do insurance themselves or if they wanna try to hire um, someone to do insurance for them and they need to just teach them dentistry, you know, just multiple different things. And then if you do wanna outsource, you know, there's an option for that too. That way it gives the, the doctor an option and they don't feel stuck. Fantastic. Now, I know that in the past you had developed, um, okay, so in all honesty, I had developed with you um, a system by which people could have their employees, their team members take a test, and they themselves could take the mm -hmm. test to identify yeah. just how much training they needed uh, mm -hmm. to really get up to the highest level of training in this. And, and I know you're going to be reintroducing the IDL or the index of dental logic um, at some point in the very near future here. When can people be looking forward to that? And will it be a free service still? I know that you guys, uh, you guys were paying a good bit <laughs> to host that. 
I think that's still in discussion uh, just because the first time we came out with it, it was definitely a beta just to see kind of the responses that we got and to see right. the scores that we got from it. Um, and just to see how many people were interested in taking it and whatnot. Um, so I think that's still in discussion on how we're going to roll that out if we're going to do it to where there is a slight charge to it because it is expensive um, to try right. to host something like that. Um, but I definitely think maybe in the next um, one to two months, we'll have that that ready to go. Um, that way practices can start using that tool again. Um, and we got a lot of good feedback from the first time around. Um, so now we have a little bit better of an idea of how we really want to roll it out this time. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely something that's super useful because a lot of the scores that we did receive, you know, I even had some uh, consultants take it. You that know, was pretty funny the when the consultants took it. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. I don't know that. It reminded yeah, you me, know, and do, you remember, do you remember Monty Python's quest for the Holy Grail? Do you remember seeing that movie? Uh, no. They have this little hermit and um, he asks King Arthur, he says, what is the average airspeed of an unladen sparrow? And it's been kind of a running joke throughout the entire yeah. show. And King Arthur yeah. says, you mean African or European? And the little hermit goes, wait, I don't know that. And then he flies off know. into a chasm. It, that seemed to be the reaction of a lot of these consultants whenever they took the test. They realized yeah. how very little knowledge they have, which really mm -hmm. put a spotlight on the fact that they should not be consulting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and too, I think... Um, you know, a lot of people that do try to handle insurance, you do have to have a little understanding, or I shouldn't say a little, a lot of an understanding of dentistry, you know, the, cl the clinical side of it, not just, you know, straight insurance side, you have to understand clinical. And that was a big thing that um, a lot of people didn't like on, on the, the first time around, which I think will definitely keep that because I think clinical I is think, super important to understand important. in the dental office. And you can't really, you know, you can't work within a consultant on an appeal, um, like a, um, a dental review consultant, you really can't communicate with them because they're a dentist. And if you can't understand the clinical side, then you're never going to win that appeal. Um, so and so somebody, some, that's something that I think is super important. So if somebody is sitting here and they're watching this program, uh, either on my podcast or here as uh, in this live in the business of dentistry, um, and they comment IDL, in the comment section, can I get you their names and will you send more information to them uh, as soon as this actually is ready to go or whenever it's ready for beta even? Yeah, yeah, for okay. sure. I you heard so. it guys, if you want to know more about the index of dental logic and if you wanna be able to, to really see how much training your team needs, uh, go ahead and put IDL in the comments and I will get her, it's gonna be a lot of work for me just so you guys know. I will individually message you whenever this thing comes out. And um, so, Kenzie, one last question. Talk to us a little bit about Dental Logic and um, and just the the. I know you guys offer a variety of services, so let's just keep it down to the insurance and billing verification, and also this workshop that you've got coming up for training people to really, really become good at at the insurance uh, at, at the insurance verifying insurance coordinator job. And full disclosure, people, I do have to say this. I own a part of Dental Logic, um, and um, I have since it was created. So, um, yep. all right, From the all yours, girl. <laughs> the yeah, um, with the verification, <laughs> with the verification, um, if you're going to do it yourself, have the practice, you know, do it yourself. Um, just make sure you are doing plan notes and trying to clean up what you you have um, existing because for a vendor to come on, you know, I can say myself, it is a struggle to try to bring on practices sometimes when things are, are very, very um, unorganized in the practice management software. And we want to stay away from having to charge a cleanup fee. You know, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to have to charge a huge cleanup fee, but it is extremely time consuming. Um, also, if you have other companies doing it for you, make sure they're not just piling on top of the existing unorganization mess in the practice management software. I think that's you know been the most frustrating thing is I know there's a lot of companies that do this and I'm like, yeah, everybody should be doing it the same way, plan notes, you know, cleaning up what's already in the system. But they don't. And I haven't seen that at all. And it's really upsetting because it's like, hey, you know, we're not, we're supposed to be the experts here, not contributing to the problem. We're supposed to be fixing the problem. 
And, you know, if I wanted to scale, you know, really, really quickly and try to bring on a bunch of practices, like I know some of these other companies do, then yeah, I could do it the same way that everybody else is doing it, but I refuse to do it the incorrect way. You know, I'm going to use the plan notes. I'm it's time consuming for sure. Um, it's a little bit harder to try to take on as many practices as we would like to. Um, but I'm not going to do it the incorrect way. You know, it need the plan notes need to be used. Um, so if your practice is doing it, try to have them to start revert doing that. You know, if they have multiple plans built in work on one plan that, you know, put, you know, an asterisk by it, you know, a, a little carrot by it, some, some kind of symbol by it. So, you know, that it's one that was just done or a new one, and then try to filter out all the old ones over time as the patients come in. Cause another thing that offices always want whenever, you know, we first onboard them and we do an evaluation and show them like, Hey, this is, you know, some of the issues we may run into everybody wants it cleaned up right away. And unfortunately it's like a six month to a year process because you cannot combine plans right away. Um, Because if somebody is on a high option, low option, there are subgroups, there's, you know, all these plans are so, so different. If you try to combine them all, you might be combining patients on a plan that they're not supposed to even be on. So it has to be as they gradually come in and it really stinks to have to do it that way. But unfortunately, that's about the only way that you can do it if you want to try to get to the end goal of having everything cleaned up. Um, well, maybe other, otherwise, it's like buying a buying an old car instead of restoring it, just painting over all the rust, and uh, you know, <laughs> it, yeah. it doesn't really do much good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of contributing to the problem, try to fix the problem, figure out the underlying issues, and try to fix those. That way things can be cleaned up, not only for the staff, you know, if you do try to outsource, you know, it makes it easier to, to onboard that type of office. Um, and then also for your staff to be able to do treatment plans easy, easily and, and to file claims, because if your, your verification, you know, is kind of all over the place, sometimes you don't know. And those appeals that we we're talking about in the very beginning, when is a good time to appeal and when is a good time to not? Um, because right. if the guidelines are in the, the verification or in the notes, then you know for sure, hey, we're not going to be able to get coverage on this, so we're not going to waste our time. Or you could look at the notes and say, oh, well, all they need is this, you know, and and that's what we're going to put in our appeal, and you can get it paid right away. Um, but those are just little things to try to to try to really examine that in your practice. Um, that way, it it makes things a little bit more organized, um, and you you might not have as many issues, you know, with insurance plans. Whenever patients come in and they're confused as why they got a misquote or something like that. Um, you can try to have things a little bit more organized. Absolutely. So guys, one more time, if you're interested in finding out more about the, uh, the index of dental logic, go ahead and put IDL down in the comments and we'll try to get that information to you as quickly as possible. But Kenzie, if folks want to know more about you and they want to um, talk to you about maybe outsourcing their insurance or their verification, um, and I know that you guys don't do insurance filing for people that you don't also do verification for because of the reasons you just listed, because it's a mess. So if they want to know more about that, or they want to know more about your upcoming program that will allow them to train their team members to be better at insurance so that they have less headaches to deal with and they get paid on time and they get paid what they deserve to get paid, where can they find out more information? Um, they can either go to the Dental Logic um, website, which you know we can post after this live, um, the the link to that, and then also just messaging myself or Wyatt. Um, you know Wyatt Broxson, he is also an owner of the company, and so messaging either one of us for information is another way that you can find find out more. Um, I will say we do have a wait list for Dental Logic, um, just because we've had so many people reach out wanting to start the verification and the billing. Um, so if you are interested, just know that we do get have on the list a wait now. List and we're, yeah, get on the list now. Um, that way we can try to figure out, you know, at what time frame, you know, you can be brought on and things like that. And we can also give tips. You know, some of the practices that I've evaluated, I've told them, hey, you know, we maybe can't bring you on right now. I'll work with you and do a little training session, and I'll show you how you can start, you know, converting your plans. That way, when we start, maybe it's a little bit easier and we're not having to do so much cleanup. And then, you know, in a month or, you know, so we'll, we'll bring you on and we'll take care of that part. But I, we do try to work out things like that. Cause I do want to try to help as many offices as possible. Sometimes it's, you know, obviously just hard whenever there's so much cleanup to do it. It's hard to do that. Absolutely. So, um, 
your website is dentallogic.io with one L, dentallogic with one L.io. And you also have a great Facebook page where people can go to get free advice. And, and, and what is that called? Uh, cracking the Dental Insurance Code. Okay, fantastic. Wonderful resource. I've had some questions of my own answered there. So I'd recommend everybody become a member if you actually want to know something more about dental insurance. And um, if not, well, avoid it like the plague because you'll learn something whether you like it or not. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> Absolutely. So Kenzie, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us an hour of your time. And for the rest of you, uh, you have now wasted another perfectly good hour of your life listening to the sound of my voice drone on. I hope that you've learned something for your efforts. Thank you as always for supporting the Dear Doc podcast. And I hope that you have an absolute, absolutely fantastic day. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc podcast on all major platforms.